Praise the Lord. So we are back in chapter uh, Mark chapter 7. Um, if you recall, we were, um, we've gone through, I think, like Mark well, 5, 6, 7, and then we were at the end of chapter 7, we were looking at the Syrophoenician woman, uh, the Canaanite woman who was interceding for her daughter who was demon-possessed, and a beautiful picture there uh, coming to the Lord, the Lord being in Gentile uh, territory, uh, just a lot there, and even a lot more in the scriptures that follow that, the, the next uh, situation that Jesus deals with. Uh, and that's where we're going to go in, in, in Mark chapter 7. And you know, I'll say this, um, Renal, um doing the announcements mentioned uh, the, uh, the man that they let down through the roof. And, uh, and there's some, you'll see how that ties in with today. Um, I didn't share, I don't think I shared anything with him, and, but uh, I believe the Lord allowed that because I looked at Carol and I said, huh, that's not in my notes. I should have put that in my notes. Well, it kind of is now. Thank you, Mernal. Uh, but uh, just the, the effort, what they, the determination of those around that guy. Uh, and, and you'll see what I mean as we go on. So in Mark chapter 7, um, here we see the Lord. He's continuing to move. He's continuing to literally move and, and, and travel. He's ministering. He's delivering people. Uh, he's teaching and he's healing. And so we get to the point where we, we look at how he, how he operates. And I'm always fascinated with how Jesus speaks to people, the believers and non-believers, how he calls people. Uh, and, uh, and, and then there's things on how he moves and really how the Lord moves in general. And sometimes it can have us thinking, you know, like, well, why? And how did he move this way? Why did he move this way? And sometimes it's, it's not always clear. It could be hard to understand. It could be confusing. It could be discouraging. It could even create doubts. And, you know, so it, it, it's, it's, we need to sometimes get to a point where we can wrap our minds around it. And it could be difficult sometimes. We'll look at some, a passage here that we might find difficult. But there's one thing is getting our, wrapping our minds around something, the way the Lord moves. And then there's our, wrapping our hearts around it. And that's where the danger or uh, trouble can happen when, if we're having a hard time wrapping our hearts around the way God moves. So, uh, that, so I want to look at this, what took place here in Scripture. And I think it's a beautiful uh, passage again and uh, because it's how the Lord works. You know, his ways are higher than ours. That's the title of this, today's message. And for example, when God moves, remember, many of you are familiar with uh, the walls of Jericho, right? The walls of Jericho, that story. It's a beautiful story we read to our children and, and how it took place. But imagine right now that right now we're, um, Joshua is here and he's directing us and we're the soldiers and there's the priests and what have you. And he's telling us, hey, we have a, a strategy here to take care of Jericho. And he begins to lay out the plan. He says, listen, we're going to march around the city. For six days, we're going to march around the city once for six days. And the guys, and you guys will probably be thinking like, ah, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll intimidate them, and then we'll attack. And then we'll, he's going to say, you know, and then also the priests, you guys are going to carry trumpets. We're going to give the priests trumpets. And then on the seventh day, we're going to march around that, that, that city seven times. And then, oh, and that's when we attack he says, and then you're going to blow your horns. They're like, okay, and so then we're going to attack? And, and he would continue and say no, and then everyone's just going to shout. Everyone's going to yell. And then the walls are going to fall down. Now you as soldiers are going to be like, okay, so how are these walls going to fall down? And you start to maybe doubt and question, well, I missed the part of how we're going to get these walls to fall down. Well, if you've missed it, then you've missed what the Lord is doing. And sometimes it's hard to grasp how the Lord works. And so I want to look at how he worked in Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 31. This is after he deals with, or he ministers, uh, heals the daughter of the Syrophoenician woman. And so Jesus is on the move, and again, he's always available. Look at this. In Mark chapter 7, verse 31, it says again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, within the region of Decapolis. Now, Decapolis is, well, that word, it, it's a Greek word, it, it, it's deca, which means ten. Uh, polis is city. So it's speaking of ten cities, literally ten cities that made up De Decapolis. And this place 
is polluted with idols, with idolatry. Because remember, Jesus is again on the move and he's gone into Gentile territory. And so it's interesting if you look at it on a map. I don't have a map for you. But he's swinging around uh, the Sea of Galilee, but he swings wide so that he comes back eastward into the Sea of Galilee. So it's as if he's extending his time of seclusion because as we looked before, he was being secluded. He purposely went away from the crowds, away from all the activity into Gentile territory. But we could see that he's extending this. We could see that he's, he's getting much-needed rest, and he's with the disciples. He's getting to spend more time with his disciples. And so as he's doing this, he's, he's still ministering into Gentile territory, and he's leaving one Gentile territory and going into another. So we see in Decapolis is where he is. Now, Jesus was in this region before. And if you, you don't have to turn there, maybe you can back to chapter uh, 5 of Mark. And he's in this region again, and he delivers a demon-possessed man. If you remember, he's possessed with legion, many demons. And what takes place here is he goes to this place, he delivers this man from all these demons, and the people become frightened because the way he does it is he sends all these demons into uh, 2,000 pigs, and they rush down a steep bank, and they're drowned. And so the people become frightened, and they ask Jesus to leave. So here Jesus is in this area, and he does this, and the people become frightened, and they want him to leave. Now, it's understandable because of what they're seeing, of what what has taken place. This demon-possessed man, he removes these demons and casts them into these pigs, and then they run off the bank, and they, they drown. So we could see that they were afraid because of this deliverance, probably angry, perhaps, And I think maybe perhaps angry because they see all these good carnitas going down and drowning. What a waste. So so that that being said, whatever the reason is they 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 are afraid and they ask him to leave. And this man who's delivered as they're leaving, he comes and says, I want to go with you, Jesus. I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, you don't go. He actually tells him, I want you to go home and tell everyone what has been done for you. And I want you to tell them about my mercy. So he gives him a mission. He's practically and probably the first missionary in that area, this guy. And so he's not allowed to go, and he's told to go and speak. And this man, it says in verse 20, that this man goes throughout Decapolis, throughout the ten cities, and the people, it says, are amazed, thumadzo. And that word thumadzo means they are astonished, they are marveled, they are surprised. In other words, uh, modern-day vernacular, they are blown away of what has taken place. Because this guy was severely demon-possessed. And they knew it, they saw it, and there he is, and Jesus sends him away. And it's interesting how that takes place, and what he specifically says is go and tell people and what has been done and about mercy. So look at verse 32. In verse 32, it goes on and says, they brought, him to one, they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. So now we're going to stop right there because something is beautiful happening right here. A lot of what uh, Murnau said in the other passage. But remember, the Canaanite woman, she came on behalf of her daughter. Daughter's home. She's possessed Uh, being tortured or severely tormented by a demon, and she goes to see Jesus on behalf of her daughter. And so that's that's natural. It's instinctive. It's expected love. We're expected to have that automatic family, love for family and friends. It's it's easy, right? Well, in Mark 7.32, we see here this guy is being brought by people, maybe his buddies, maybe friends, maybe family, but he's the the woman went on behalf of the, the, the daughter, Here, these guys are bringing him physically. They're physically bringing this perhaps friend who is in need of healing, restoration. He's in need of Jesus. And so when we look, I look at this passage and I think, wow, they brought him to the one, they brought him to Jesus who's deaf and had spoken uh, with difficulty. You know, see, I see this and I think, how does that apply to me or us? I could see how we need to know the importance of bringing people to Jesus. 
people who need the Lord. Because of what we've experienced, we know they need the Lord because we were there. It's like bringing someone to church. It's like bringing someone to Bible study. Or you bring them to men's discipleship this Tuesday, 6.30. Oh, <laughs> plug. Or you bring them to the men's group because you know that they could use a group of men just to be men and talk about scriptures and what it means to live a surrendered life as a man in this world. You can invite someone to the retreat, the women's retreat, the men's retreat. It's seeing the importance here is they brought him to Jesus. And we, too, need to be, have that mindset. Much like Renal said, there was effort in that situation that Renal said. And there is here, there is concern they brought him. That Greek word is pharaoh. And pharaoh means to carry. It means to literally carry some burden. You know, lift this up and move it over there. And it's a burden. It's, I have to carry this. To move, to carry by burying something. Burying to carry. So burden, when you think of burden and when you think of friends and you think of how we need to um, bring or burden and bring people to the Lord. How we could be a somewhat negative Negative is when you think of the word burden, to carry something or do something. Somebody might say, you know what, hey, um, uh, you might, they might offer to use, uh, drive you somewhere or something. And you're like, oh, you know what, I don't want to burden you. Because you know you're going to take them out of their way. They're going to waste gas. They're, they have a day to do things or whatever. And they say, I don't want to burden you, brother. But that response, the one that shows the way this burden should be, is when you say something like, you know what, it's no burden. It's my pleasure. I get to hang out with you. Maybe we'll grab lunch. You could pay. No, maybe we could grab lunch. <laughs> Work that in. But so, you know, it's no longer a burden because I want, I want to bless you. Don't rob me from my blessing. You see it as a burden, but I see it as a blessing. I'm going to invite that guy. I'm going to, it's a burden though. It's going to be embarrassing and awkward when he says no, perhaps. But I'm going to do it because I want to bless this person. You know, so when we look at it this way, we look at verse 32. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with, with uh, difficulty. They saw the need in someone. They saw that this person needed Jesus. And that's how the burden should be defined. For example, um, Galatians 6.2. Uh, yes, Galatians 6.2. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In the NIV version, it says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, these two words, bear and burden, bear is bastadzo. Bastadzo, and it means to pick up, lift up, to sustain, again, to carry. Um, burdens, baros, is heaviness, a weight, a trouble. So you could see that, yes, it could be troublesome. It could, be, it, it could weigh on us. And think of this. There's no doubt, even though they were physically carrying this guy, if they had the, the true, genuine, biblical sense of the burden, then they were also spiritually carrying that burden. They're hurting with that guy. You know, when we think of people that need Jesus, it, it shouldn't anger us, like, man, that guy needs Jesus, and look at him, and, and instead of a negative uh, uh, connotation, it should be more like, that guy needs Jesus, and I want to see him saved. I, I, want, I love him, and he's got a family, and, and that is how it should be turned, or that's the way we should live and understand how that burden is to be handled. You see, our example is the Lord. In Psalm 55, 22, it says this, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. That word cast is uh, shalak, and shalak means to throw, to cast, or hurl. Sort of like to fling, just cast it off. So this verse, is, what it's telling us is to cast our burden upon the Lord. There's the picture, the heart of God. He wants us to cast those burdens. You see? He wants to help. Cast, to shed something off, to throw it, to cast, to hurl, to fling. It's, have you ever played the game hot potato? Right? You get that, whatever it is, and you fling it. You get rid of it. You don't want to hold on to it. That's the picture we see here. Cast your burden. You have burdens. Cast them on the Lord. He's there for us. And 
The word sustain, which is cool, and it's almost like the surfer way of saying cool. Cool. <laughs> Interesting word. It means to hold, to support, to contain. And it goes on to say, he will sustain us. He will hold us. The Lord will support us. I want to know that when I'm helping someone, that burden is I want to, hope, I want to help them. I want to hold them. I want to carry them through this. The Lord wants to carry us through our burdens, through our troubles. And that's our heart for people. That should be our heart for people as believers. It says that he will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Shaken, that word is mout, and it means dislodged or to be overthrown. He will not allow that. In Christ, there is victory, as we sang earlier. And there's victory to be had. There's victory to walk in. And yes, understand this. We will, we will be shaken in this world. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to shake us up. But not in this sense. In this sense, the righteous, uh, he will never allow the righteous to be shaken as in dislodged or overthrown. Because when we are in Christ, we are covered. We are protected. Amen. So that's the heart of God when it comes to burdens. Now look at, uh, again, verse 32. It says, They brought, him, brought to him one who was deaf, spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Spoke with difficulty. That word is magi lalos. There's two words there. Magi lalos. And it means, magi means hard or difficult. So he hardly spoke. He had a difficulty speaking. He could make sounds, but he had difficulty getting things out. Laleo, which the other part of that word, is utter to a voice or, or to uh, sounds. So he had difficulty just making noises and sounds. And it says that they implored him to lay his hand on him. So this guy was, had, had a, a disability. He was disabled in this way. He was deaf. And he had a hard time speaking or making words, making sounds. Implored. These guys implored, parakaleo. Now that word there means to call near, to appeal, or to beg. You see, when we bring people to the Lord, we beg, we plead with the Lord, Lord, please, please, I want this brother saved. I need this sister saved. I want to see people saved. That, that begins to see, we can see that we are operating in the law of Christ. When we carry the burden to the point where we're pleading with God, for salvation for someone. Not just, you know, it'd be nice if they were saved, it'd be nice if they were saved, it'd be, you know, it, it means everything. It's spiritual life or death for this person. When we understand that, we, then we begin to implore the Lord. We begin to beg the Lord. So these guys, if they were his buddies, they had a great concern for their friend because they were imploring the Lord. They were carrying that burden. They were genuine. They were sincere. You see, these guys, they were aware of his obvious condition. They knew that he was unable to do it himself. They knew that he couldn't walk up to Christ and say anything. I can't hear. I obviously can't speak. He couldn't say anything. So these guys reached out to the Lord and implored. You know, I remember... Myself, personally, you know, when I, when I do things, um, I, I like to have more than what I need, I guess. Let's say, like, um, you're doing a, a do-it-yourself project at home, right? And you need to buy some paint or some caulking or whatever it is. And when I get there, I'll buy it more than, probably more than what I need. Why? Because I don't want to have to go back to the store, right? How many of you hate going back to the hardware store when you're in the middle of a project, right? And you're just making headway. You're like, i got to start over. That's like, I'll do it tomorrow, right? So I've always had this, this personality or whatever you want to call it. This thing is where I need to have more than what I need. And that didn't work well for me when I was lost because I would always think I needed to have more of the bad stuff, of wrong lifestyle. And, and, it, and it, it, was, it was detrimental to me. But I remember back in the day, as a non-believer, partying with my friends. I, I, knew, I know where we were parked. I forget whose car it was. But I know exactly the scene. As intoxicated as I was, I remember it well. And I remember my buddy, Carlos. Carlos Mercado, this guy. He said something 
in our lost state, he looked at me and he says, hey, man, um, he said something like, don't you think you should slow down? I think you should take it easy. Because I felt like I always had to be the, the have more, do more, act crazier. And so when he said that, I remember how it, it struck my heart. Truth, he's right, but offended that a friend would say something like that to me. And so when I, when I see this, when I see this, 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 this situation, even in our lost condition, he saw a bad condition in me. And that's in the world. How much more should we be seeing bad situations in people and doing something about it, imploring the Lord for salvation? So the importance, obviously, is we need people that are strong believers around us. Amen. And we need to be those strong believers around people that are, are believers and non-believers and that we understand their condition so we can be helpful. You know, uh, back in the day, being a believer, uh, I was changed, and everyone knew at the, at the workplace where I worked, and there was this other guy, and he was a Muslim. His name was Ali, Ali Farshad. Loved that guy. He was a really sweet guy. We worked together in IT, side-by-side. Um, Humble guy, nice guy. We had great laughs. And one day I thought, you know, oh, I was going to go full-time ministry. And we were talking, and then I said, i got to share the gospel with this guy because I'm not going to see him. So I, I've, I've, I've gone the long way with him, working with him, being an example, friend, and all that. And then I started, I shared the gospel with him. We went out to our place, Carl's Jr., and we sat there, and we were talking, and I, I shared the gospel with him. I talked to him about um, Islam. I told him about salvation, Jesus Christ. And, it was, and he was so sweet and nice and listening to me, understanding and, and what have you. And, I, and, and when I was done, I'll tell you, it was the most kind rejection I ever had. When he said, thank you, Steve. Thank you very much. But, but I, I'm happy for you, but you know, not for me or whatever. Uh, but that was the most sweet way of saying no thank you. And we went on, and I worked a few more weeks, I guess it was, and, and what have you. But we have to recognize that people need Jesus. And we have to make that step, take that, walk, that step of faith and share Christ. And so look at these verses here. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It says this, there are better, uh, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Man, the importance of friendships. The importance that we are surrounding ourselves with believers, we should have the desire. You know what? I want to make sure I'm around men that are going to call me out when I need help, or they're going to point something out. Because if I surround myself with people that are just, you know, they go with the flow, then they're not going to help me. They're not going to grow me. They're not going to challenge me. And I mean in a loving way. I mean in an encouraging way. Just as, let's say we're on the same football team and I fumbled the ball or I've done something wrong or I, 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 whatever I did, I blew the play, that someone comes to me and says, it's all right, man, we got another play. Okay, forget that. Let's just go forward. Here's what I saw, what you did wrong. This is what we need to do. That's what I mean. That kind of encouraging. Not like, I can't believe you did that. You know, we're going to lose the game if you keep doing that. Not that way. I mean in the way that we're going to help Someone who's going to lift up the guy and not beat him down. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And it means there in the original language, by discussion, by dialogue, that we encourage one another. So I could be around a bunch of guys, but if I'm not sharing with them or talking with them, I'm not being edified. I'm not being sharpened. Proverbs 12, 26 says this, One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor. But the way of the wicked leads them astray. That's a powerful verse. Look at it in the New Living Translation. It says this, The godly give good advice to their friends. The wicked lead them astray. The importance of having godly brothers around us. That verse, that passage there is kind of uh, the meaning there behind that uh, proverb is that we are cautious in who we befriend that we're cautious in how we select or choose friends, that verse there. That, that deserves its own study, this, this verse. But that is uh, safety for us, protection for us, to keep us focused, pointing 
us to the Lord. Amen? So, dealing with deaf people, silent people. You know, it could be that uh, people that are deaf, they, they just aren't hearing from God. Or they refuse to hear from God. Sometimes silent people, when we look at it and we try and apply it to, to, to now in, in our lives, is it could be people who don't know how to approach God. And that's where we can come into play and help introduce them to Jesus because they don't know the beginning, where to start. It could be because they're too proud. They could be hurt. It could be depression. They could be bitter towards God. We need to be those genuine believers that are going to implore the Lord, that are going to make that effort to bring Jesus to them or bring them to the Lord. So we see this passage with the Canaanite woman. She goes on behalf of her daughter, understandable, easy. And then these guys, if it's their friend, well, easy again, right? But let's think about this as we examine our hearts as to, am I being a good brother for people? Am I being a good sister for people? Am I surrounding myself with these types of people? Is when we take it a little further, Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 27, it says this, Jesus says this, But I say to you, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Verse 32 says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. You see, that's almost like surrounding yourself, right, with the easy to love people, people that are your friends, and, and you're, everything's good, everything's grand. But get into the, the, uh, a surrounding where people are really friendly towards you, really don't like your Christianity, really don't like that you don't want to go and party with them. And so we start to change the scenario. Yes, we're still to implore the Lord on their behalf as well. We still have to have a desire to see them saved as well. So, um, and so it says, if you, uh, verse 33, if you, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And then in verse 35 he says, but love your enemies and do good, again, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So we are to implore the Lord on behalf of the kind and the ungrateful. Those that maybe don't want you to pray for them, don't like you, have hurt you, have harmed your family that we are the same way, our hearts are the same way. That's fulfilling the law of Christ. You see, it's interesting, he says, but love your enemies and do good. You ever hear the, the term, uh, a do-gooder? Oh, that guy's a do-gooder. You ever hear that? Anybody? Yeah. It's a phrase. <laughs> a do-gooder. We need to be do-gooders in this sense. Not in the sense that we're holier than thou, but a do-gooder, someone that is, that is doing right to those that may be doing us wrong. You see, God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Matthew 5.45 says, He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And that should be our heart set. It shouldn't be different for the person who is mean to us or hates our Christianity or whatever, hates God. It should be the same because a soul is a soul. Amen? Amen? And when you look at this, this that's, that's genuine biblical love. Love, agape love. For God so loved the world. world. Uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the, that church. That word love is agape. And it means to love someone, to initiate relationship with someone that doesn't necessarily deserve it or that you don't really like. That is true biblical love. So let's move on. Mark chapter 7, verse 33. Jesus took him aside from the crowd. So Jesus takes this guy aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with saliva. I'll give you a minute to think about that. Think about how God's working right there. Think about how the Lord's working right there. Touch his ears. He spit how? Right? How do you spit? So first of all, he took him aside. This is a personal encounter. 
Jesus Christ is taking him to the side one-on-one. When the Holy Spirit speaks to a person, convicts a person, when the Lord speaks to a person, it's one-on-one. It's not, let me talk to you and your friends. It's one-on-one. It's like, you know what? Steve, step into my office. It's me and him. When he called us, it was you and him. Here he's pulling him to the side and they're having a personal encounter. He's pulling him, he's drawing him from the crowd. The crowd, what, what's with the crowd? Well, you have mockers. You have people that were probably rejecting him because of his disabilities, not helping him. Perhaps negative attention, ridicule, and, 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 and neglect. But Jesus is getting his attention and pulling him from that. Because so many times people are so caught up in the world, in, in how they're treated and what they're not getting and how, what, whatever's going on in their life, and they don't realize God wants to separate you from that and focus on what's important. So Jesus gets his attention. He has a personal encounter with him, and he removes him perhaps from this crowd that probably wasn't very kind to him, although they, these guys brought him to him, Jesus. And he brings him into a position, a situation of care, concern, compassion, love from Christ. And he's removed from that perhaps discouraging environment, perhaps that discouraging situation. So Jesus pulls him to a side and he speaks with him or he, he, he works with him and it's a beautiful thing that takes place here. As odd as it sounds, look, he removes him from the crowds, he places his fingers in his ears. He places his fingers in his ears. Have you ever placed your finger in someone's ear? Usually it's like this, right? And then you, right? Well, he's, he touches his ears He doesn't point at him. He touches this guy. And then, well, then there's the spit, right? Imagine this. After service, come on up for prayer. And then you come up for prayer, and then I... Come here. You're like, whoa, hold on, Steve. What are you doing there? That's odd. Why did I even come to this church, right? Something weird is going on there. But see, so Jesus spits, and let's be honest. How much spit? Did it drip onto his hand? Did he catch it in his hand? You know, honestly, you look at this and you're like, well, yeah, I really want to know how this took place. I want to see the video on this one. Because I want to see the... I'm sure he took him to the side, he was alone, but people, you know how people are, right? Neighbors. And they're probably watching this from afar, but there's a spit. So... Have you ever seen that video that's like a meme now or whatever? And there's this guy, and he's going to do a bungee jump off of a chair. And he's saying, hold on. He goes, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Right? He's like, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. So this guy can't speak. But can you imagine when that's taking place? You're like, wait, 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 wait. hold on. What are you about to do? You know, like, take Carol, for example. <laughs> when I say that, I'm just uh, regarding the spit. We could be walking down the street and Carol sees spit on the, on the floor. She practically passes out. So some people could look at this and think, <laughs> no joke, some people could look at this and think, well, this is really odd. This is strange. But you know what's taking place is this is an incredible moment. This is Jesus ministering to a man, reaching out to a soul looking to see this guy saved, but he's going to heal him. You see, with saliva, saliva, it was thought to have um, healing properties. So this guy, perhaps as a, a Gentile, perhaps, would understand that something positive is about to happen. But Jesus is uniquely communicating with this guy. If you stop and look at the beautiful details, he's using gestures to a man who is deaf, and can't speak. The man can't say, well, I can't hear and I I can't speak because he can't speak. But Jesus uses a sort of a, 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 a sign language. And he touches the man's ears. In other words, he's letting the man know, I know your problems. I know you can't hear. And he touches his ears. He puts his fingers there. It's almost like if somebody said, they brought me to Jesus. Well, when I came to the Lord, I knew what was wrong. He brought to my attention what I was dealing with. 
He knew what I needed to be saved with, and he made it clear to me. He spoke to me what I needed to turn from, a life of sin and the things that I was doing. But this guy, he knew what his issue was, and he let him know, I know your situation. And then he touched his, his tongue with saliva. And so it makes sense, the fact that saliva thought to have uh, healing properties and what have you. This guy is not uh, uh, appalled. He sees someone caring, ministering, and about to heal him. And he is about, and he touches this guy. So now it makes sense. Like, wow, he had to do that. It was personal. I know your problem. The saliva. And he began to speak. You know what? And so in this situation, it's like, wow, there's a lot of things when, when God moves and we don't necessarily understand. And we need to trust the Lord. This just doesn't seem like it makes sense. How are the walls going to fall again? It doesn't make sense. We need to trust the Lord. This man trusted the Lord. He allowed the Lord to heal him. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Many of you may have this one memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord. Piece of cake, right? Yeah. I'm a Christian now. I'm just going to trust the Lord in everything. It's not always that easy. Because sometimes things don't seem like they should be working this way. Why would God allow this? I've been asking for this to take place, but that seems opposite. I don't understand. And, and then the whole idea of God working in mysterious ways starts to flood your mind and your heart. But to trust the Lord. You've heard the term, trust the process, right? Trust the process. You know, there's a movie, um, uh, an older movie, um, Remembering the Titans. I think it is. Is that, is that the name? Remembering the Titans. And the coach is a new coach, and he's, he's on the scene, and he's not liked for many reasons. And one of the things they say is, like, they look at his playbook, and they say, it's an awfully thin playbook, isn't it? And he says this, I run six plays, split veer. It's like Novocaine, just give it time, it always works. You see, he trusted his process. He trusted that, you know what, veer left, veer right, veer left. We'll get them, it'll get it in time. It'll, you know, it's just like when you think of football teams. Let's say your team is a running team, and you know we need to establish the run. If we don't establish the run and we abandon it too soon, we're done for, because that's our bread and butter. And so here, I look at this veer, and he trusts it. we got to give it time. We're not going to abandon it. Trust the process. We'll wear them down, and, we'll, and then we can pass the ball, perhaps. Just like Novocaine. You know, when I go to the dentist, when I've gone to the dentist, and they give you that Novocaine, are you, any of you like me, where you're sitting there, and let's say you're going to have some work done. They give you the Novocaine. They go, okay, well, we'll just get you there, and I'll be right back, and we'll get you all numbed up, and we'll get you going. And all I'm thinking is, I don't feel numb enough yet. I don't think it's going to work. Uh, I should call. Where do I press the bell to ring him and tell him, give me more? And you, you don't trust it. You don't trust it. He comes back. He says, how's it going? And I'm feeling like, you know, I think it's working, you know, because I'm, I'm afraid, to tell you the truth. And then he'll go. He'll come back. And then sure enough, there I am. And I can't talk. And everything's numb. And I didn't trust the process. But trusting that Novocaine, it's going to kick in. And you know what? Trusting the Lord, it's going to kick in. The Lord is going to see you through. He's going to carry us through those things. He's, we cast our burdens on him, and he will carry us. He will sustain us. He will contain us through the process. But we need to trust the Lord. Hosea 14, verse 9, says this. Who is wise? Let them realize things. Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. So you see, a cloudy understanding, it has the potential to either strengthen or weaken our faith in the Lord, our trust in God. We need to understand who God is. Understand that the, the ways of the Lord are right. Walk in that and live in that so that our faith is increased, not decreased. And now look at Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
These are your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. We're always trying to figure out God. We're always trying to figure out God's next move. Surely he's going to do this because after all, we're all fasting and praying for it. And then something goes this way. You see, declares the Lord. Look at verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We have to live in that. We have to understand we don't have the mind of God. We can't. In our humanness, we're limited to understand the grand uh, beauty of his, of his mind, of his heart, of his love. And so when we grasp this, understand that, then we can understand that, well, i got to trust the Lord through this. Yeah, but the spit, the ears, the, this isn't working right, this isn't going the way I thought. Trusting the Lord. Trusting his process. Look at uh, the same verse in the New Living Translation. I like it this way. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. So when we grasp that, when we take ourselves off of our high place of that thinking we know a lot, and we put ourselves before God, then we see what we know, and we trust God because of who he is. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The bottom line is we need to allow God to be God. Amen. Amen. Let's move on. Verse uh, 34. So Jesus takes this guy aside, places his fingers into his ears, applies saliva onto his tongue, and now, verse 34, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. I like how Mark is speaking to his Gentile audience, explains that word. It means be open. He gives a little commentary, he gives a little understanding there. Ephatha, to be opened. Here is his love and his concern for us, the Lord's. Love and concern for this guy is no different than what he has for us to be spiritually healed. The deep sigh, which is stenadzo, stenadzo, it means to groan, to grieve. This is the heart of our Lord. He groans and he grieves. It means to have an intense feeling, usually of anxiety or grief. That is our Lord. That is his heart. When you're broken and you're saddened, discouraged, he's with us. And this is his heart towards us. Deep sigh. In Romans 8.26, we see this word used, stenadzo. And it's, it, says about, it says about that, it says, groanings too deep for words. So he doesn't say anything. He doesn't give a special word or when he looks up, but he has a deep sigh, his heart for us. His thoughts towards us are precious. Amen? If Hebrews 4.15, we can't miss the fact that God knows our pain. He knows our hurts. He knows our needs. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. To sympathize, <clears throat> that word is sympatheo, sympatheo, and it means to have compassion on, to be affected by the same feelings. So if I said, you know what, I'm really sad because this took place, guys, and then you're like, wow, I feel sad for you, bro. But when you say like, Oh, and when you love that person and you care about them and you see how broken they are, then you kind of carry that and you re realize, oh, bro, I'm so sorry. I'm hurting with you. You don't, you're not, it's not happening to you, but you love that person so much you can't explain. Here the Lord is this deep sigh, this intense feeling towards this guy. Ephatha, he says, to be opened. So, to sympathize means to have compassion on. Weaknesses, this is asthenia. Asthenia in the Greek means frailty, distress, sickness. So it means morally and physically. 
the, the Lord knows your hurts. He know, you're not alone when you're in pain. You're not alone when you're going through that divorce or that death. or Whatever it is, you're not alone. He's hurting. He knows your pain. And he can sympathize with us. And I think that's just beautiful. I think it's so beautiful. Imagine this, when, you know, husbands and wives. Because you're, you're, you're married, you're one, you've lived together for the longest time. When my wife hurts, I hurt. When I hurt, I see her hurt. And it's not just words, it's not just a lip service. There's real pain there. When you have someone you love and you see them in pain, you carry that burden. You carry that pain. It's not a burden in the sense of, oh, man, now I'm sad. No, you're sad with them. So together, you can lift each other up. Having that friend, that person in your life. But he knows our pain. You're never alone in your pain. And that's, that's a major one there. It, he looked up to heaven. That's really cool. Jesus is healing this guy, and then he looks up to heaven, and he says, Ephatha. He looks up to heaven. In Mark 61, when he multiplied the bread and the fish, he looked up. When he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, he looked up. He literally looked up. Jesus is healing this guy, and in the midst of this, and, and touching him, and then he looks up. That's powerful, and that's key. Looking up to heaven, it's like pointing to the Father. It's like pointing to God. Even a pagan, a Gentile, would understand that it's, he's looking to the Father. You see, Jesus working here is powerful because he's working perhaps with this Gentile, a Gentile audience, people that are far removed from the living God. And he's bringing him right there. He's there in the flesh. And so... He literally looks up. So he shows sincere compassion for this man. He's bearing the man's burden. And for the sake of this deaf guy, he, he does say something, Ephatha, but he looks up to heaven. So he does the body language again, the sign language again. And I think that's powerful. John 14, 6, what does it say? John 14, says, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am, the, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is ministering to this guy, pointing to the Father. What a perfect example for us to point to Jesus to access the Father, right? And I, I just find this passage so wonderful. Mark 7.35 And his ears were opened. And the impediment of his tongue was removed. And he began speaking plainly. Jesus heals. He restores. He comforts. He saves. That's our Lord. And he loves you. And he cares for us. And he knows our pain. He knows our needs. And he's there to provide salvation. And here he is in action. He removes this impediment, desmon. That, that's the, word, the Greek word for impediment, desmon. And it means this, bonds, chains, imprisonment. It comes from the root word deo, and that is to tie, to bind, to fasten something, taking into, uh, to throw, be thrown into chains. His tongue had an impediment. It was bound. It was imprisoned. It was, it was, uh, it was, it was bound, fastened, tied up. He couldn't speak. He couldn't get anything out. And when I look at this, I see something happening here. This guy is being healed physically. He is, giving, he is being given a spiritual opportunity to hear from the Holy Spirit. A spiritual opportunity to escape the things that maybe he's been trained and, and, and taught his life. He is being healed. He is being freed. And when Jesus frees us, a man, a, per, a woman, uh, from sin, he removes that bondage of sin from our lives. He frees us. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says what? Don't be deceived, right? Liars, fornicators, 
Adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. It goes on and on. And then in verse 11, what does it say? That beautiful passage. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit, and by the Spirit of our God. In the NIV it says, and that is what some of you were. And that is what some of us were. We were tied and in, in, in bondage. He's this guy, that picture there of his physical uh, imprisonment of his tongue, it's bound and, and what have you, in chains. I look at this and I see if us spiritually before Christ, we were in, in bondage to sin. We were in bondage to sin, but he freed us. He broke us from that bondage. He says, Ephatha. And that word means to be thoroughly opened. It's a compound word that means thoroughly, completely opened. This guy is being healed physically. He's receiving an, a spiritual, an opportunity to be freed spiritually. In John 8.31, it says this. And you know what's interesting is this guy was deaf and, and, and he couldn't speak. And perhaps the first words he hears are, be thoroughly opened. And so in John 8.31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Verse 33, they answered him, we are, off, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly. That phrase there is truly, truly is like absolutely, positively is what he's saying. Absolutely, positively I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You're in bondage to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Powerful stuff. That is beautiful. And I was just meditating on that this morning. Those words of being free and thanking the Lord for delivering us and making us free. That is just exciting to me to know that I'm free from the bondage that I walked in. Look at verse 36. God working in an in odd ways, mysterious ways, beautiful ways. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. And they're like, what? You know, it's like, wow, look what just took place. And he gave them orders, but hey, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone what's going on or what, I, what happened here. You see, Jesus isn't looking for recognition. He's, he's it, on the contrary. You know, on the contrary, he's putting, esteeming others higher than himself. Philippians 2, right? Esteem others higher than ourselves. Consider others more important than ourselves. He's putting this guy first. He's saying, he's here and he's not holding on to his glory in Philippians 2, but he came to serve. That song that we sang earlier, right? The servant. He came to serve. He's not, and see, trying to understand this is, why would he say not to tell anyone? He orders them. Orders, it's a, it's a, uh, a word that means uh, to, he continually, don't tell them, don't say anything, don't say anything. So he's continually telling them this. But you see, he's, there's one thing is he's not looking for trouble. He's not looking for trouble. And Jesus is not looking to die, at least not yet. So can you imagine this guy hasn't been able to speak, and now he's being told, don't speak. <laughs> don't tell anyone. But I can talk. Look what's happened. I can hear. So imagine, not, imagine being told not to tell anyone about how you got saved or how you were delivered from something, how you were changed. Wow, that's pretty hard to understand, right? This word, these orders, the tense is it was a repeated charge. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. And this is coming from the Lord about something that's crazy. It had just happened. It almost seems wrong, sinful, irresponsible, selfish not to share what has taken place. Right? So, um, so number one, they were excited. The people were excited, okay, because it says that they, uh, they, they more widely continued to proclaim it, even though they were told not to. Well, number two, they were also disobedient because they were told not to, and they did it anyway. So, you know, 
It's interesting, this whole passage right here is what's going on, because earlier I showed you where Jesus said to go home, go tell everyone what happened, tell them about my mercy. And now here he's saying something different. Well, we see him say things to a leper, a blind man, to a crowd, uh, to Jairus' family, Jairus' daughter, who he's restored life. He said these things, see that no one knows. Don't make it known. No one should know. And then with his disciples... At the transfiguration, after that, he says, not, he says this, not to say anything. Wait until I rise from the dead. You see, there's a reason for everything that he's doing here. There, we have to understand that. Wait, he says to tell everyone here. Then he says, don't tell anyone. What should I do? Well, there's a reason for his, his actions here. And Peter, when he says, you are the Christ, when Peter made that uh, profound statement, you are the Christ, Jesus says, tell no one. Don't tell anyone that you're the Christ. And so it starts to think, well, I, I'm having a tough time with this. The um, demons, when Jesus um, rebuked the demons and cast them out, the demons were saying, you are the son of God. And Jesus, in response there, he rebuked them. And he did, it says he did not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Okay, well, he, why would he do that? Well, think of this. Imagine demons are vouching for the Christ. How the, how, how the people that were the Pharisees and everyone questioning Christ would use that and say, oh, yeah, well, according to them, <laughs> you're the Christ. Is that where we're going to go on? So you could see there's reason behind every time Jesus said to say something or not to say something. And so, so here's an understanding with that is one, safety reasons. When that deliverance with uh, the, the guy with the many demons, Legion, to go tell them, he said this, go and tell them. Because at that point, he was leaving that area. So it's like, hey, go tell them because I'm not going to be here. It's safe for me. And then here, he's saying, don't tell them because I'm still here. And it's not going to be safe for me. So he's asking them not to say anything, even though they continue to do it. Then there's the issue of, of how do we handle it when we say, do I say anything or not? You know, depends how the Lord leads you to share with someone. You might want to say, look, this is what the Lord delivered me from, and you know that guy is just going to reject it outright. Because if they see that you are no longer walking in sin, and you're new and changed, that's right there preaching the gospel. That right there is sharing, uh, speaking or preaching volumes just by seeing that you've been healed, you've been delivered, uh, you've repented, you're walking in a new life. And lastly, um, Jesus, in his ministry, he did not want it to get mixed up where he's just here to heal physically, but that he's here to save people. He's here for salvation. So he didn't want to be simply seen as a miracle worker. His primary uh, mission was not physical, it was spiritual. Luke 19.10 says what? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So he didn't want that message lost. He wanted to make sure that people knew that he was there for the salvation of souls. So, verse 37. Mark 7.37. After all this takes place, it says that they were utterly astonished. Utterly astonished. Not just astonished, which we find in the scriptures over and over and over again. Mark does something different here. They were utterly astonished, saying, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Who, does, who could he be? Who could he be but the Messiah, Right? The one prophesied who will allow the, or get the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. They were astonished, ekpleso. Ekpleso, they were amazed, they were stricken with shock, they were overwhelmed. And we see this word, like I said, astonished, used throughout the scriptures, when it's speaking of Jesus, activity of Jesus, uh, the effect that it had on people when they saw him move, uh, when they heard his, when he would teach, they would think like, whoa, they would be amazed at his doctrine at his teachings or when they were observing his miracles and his wisdom it's it, in the scriptures it, they use this word at so that they were amazed but here mark does something different and he coins a greek word to express the amazement 
And he uses utterly. Hooper per isos. Hooper per isos. Hooper meaning like ranked higher, higher exceedingly. It means exceedingly beyond measure. You see, the Lord does all things well. We may not grasp it. We may not understand it completely all the time. But I'll tell you what, if you trust the Lord, if you trust the process, you will be utterly astonished. You will be exceedingly, beyond measure, blown away, amazed on how God works. You can look around this room and see lives that maybe you knew back in the day that are changed. Than you And you are utterly astonished. You can look at yourself and be utterly astonished. He changed me. He changed that, that craving, that desire, that temptation, delivered, removed. And so people were utterly astonished. He does all things well. He makes the deaf and the mute here. And when they said that, it could have just been a, a proclamation of, wow, look at this. But it, it does, many scholars uh, you'll find that, think that he's referring, their people were referring to a scripture in Isaiah, uh, verse 35, uh, 5 and 6. And it says this, it's, a, it's speaking of the messianic reign. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and the streams will water the wasteland. This, so when they were astonished, amazed, utterly astonished, they, they belted this out, that he does all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak, what we see in, in Isaiah 35, the millennial reign. And interesting, back in Mark 7.32, um, Mark uses a word, and he uses that word about the speech uh, difficulty, the impediment, speech impediment, and it's only used there in the New Testament that word, and it's used here in the Septuagint of Isaiah 35, which is interesting, because we could see how there's two things pointing to that millennial reign, when he says, those who cannot speak will sing for joy, for uh, Mark saying that, using that word. So bottom line today, guys, is this, looking at that last passage of the millennial reign, is there is a future for us, for those in Christ, a beautiful future. We all have a future, and it's with or without God. And here we see this guy who was healed is given an opportunity to have a future with the living God. And so I ask this today. Is, has God moved in your life? Maybe he's provided for you. Maybe he's convicted you, and he's said things to you, his spirit has spoken to you, and you're, you may not be a follower of Christ, but he's reached out to you. He has reached out to, to, to draw you to himself, to be saved, so that you can have a future with him. You can be utterly amazed at his work. You can have a future with him if we recognize that, yeah, he allows the sun to rise and the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. There is a, a God. There is a Lord. And Jesus Christ came and died for you. And he wants you saved. He wants to see you saved. He loves and he cares for you. If you are hearing this and you are not following Christ, you don't want to just reject all the things that you know full well that God has spoken to you in drawing you to him, to salvation, is to surrender to follow Christ. And then for us, for those that are believers, to hear this message and think, you know what? I need to surround myself with believers. I need to, I need to be like what, I, what I've seen here throughout these verses and, and, and step up my game to be a friend, to draw people to Christ, the lost to Christ. But in the process, I need to trust the process. I need to trust God. I need to see him through these things, even when it seems like it's not working out to my benefit or the way I thought it would, and keeping in mind that he does all things well, and you'll be utterly astonished. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the words, your word that is so descriptive. It, it explains the, so many mysteries to us. Your heart, number one. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would give us an understanding to trust you. You would give us the, the faith to trust you through the hard times, knowing that you care and you know our, our hurts. 
You know our pains. Lord, for the person that isn't following you today, if they're sitting there, they're hearing this, Lord, I pray that they would just go beyond just hearing my voice or the things that I've read, but rather that they're hearing from your Holy Spirit and they would surrender. They would recognize that you know them, you care for them, you love them, and you desire to spend eternity with them. Lord, I pray that they would no longer resist. I pray that there would be a surrender. Lord, I pray that as we are about to take communion, Lord, that our hearts would be surrendered, that here in this room, that we would run, turn, repent from things that would keep us from partaking of communion. Lord, that we would have hearts that are right before you, that we would recognize that who you are, that you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. Lord, I pray that we would proclaim your truth, your word, by living, by speaking, that people would see who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.